Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about our church's Holy Week services when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's Good Friday teaching in Exodus 27 called Christ in the Tabernacle. We're in Exodus 27. We're moving verse by verse through the book of Exodus. So the second book of your Old Testament is what you want. And we're going to be looking at one piece of furnishing within the tabernacle tonight, and that is the altar of burnt offering or something called the bronze altar. And so that's where we are tonight. Exodus chapter 27. We'll be doing uh, 19 verses in the chapter. And before we jump into it, would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the youth upstairs enjoying a little bit of a party and celebration. Thank you for all of the different servants in different areas. Thank you for Shane leading us in music. And thank you for the word of God. Your word is alive and it is powerful and it can and does transform us. And our prayer is simply that, that we would be changed more into the image of Christ Because we've been here, we've received it, we're ready to act upon it as you would will. May you be glorified in the teaching and the hearing and responding to your word. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. The altar of burnt offering. So what we've been doing is we've been exploring uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the book of Exodus. And we have seen the children of Israel move out of slavery, out of Egypt, and move and begin to move towards the promised land and go to Mount Sinai. God has given the law from Mount Sinai as it's thundered. And Moses has now gone up and he has received not only the 10 words or 10 laws, not only the covenant code, the more specific everyday laws, but now he's getting blueprints for a structure known as the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent-like structure which preceded the actual physical temple. So those of you who have been around the the Bible or the things of God, you know, eventually Solomon built a temple, a physical uh, stone structure that was really an incredible building. And that particular temple got destroyed. And then there was an attempt to rebuild it. And then that temple got destroyed again. Eventually it was called Herod's temple and it fell in 70 AD, and it has never risen again. The tabernacle was the first structure of the three, you could say, of the two additional temples that God gave a blueprint for up on Mount Sinai. At this point, what Moses is getting is only the instructions. It has not been built yet. He's simply been been given the blueprint of what is the, the tabernacle supposed to be and what goes in it. And if you were with us, you know we started from the inside out. You could say we started from God and went out to man. And the first thing that we looked at was the Ark of the Covenant, the one thing that was behind the veil in the holiest place, or what we know as the Holy of Holies. That's where the lid of the Ark was the mercy seat, where the two angels' wings touched, and God said, there I will meet with you. As we move beyond the curtain and we go out into the holy place, we ran into two additional items so far. We've got the table of showbread and the menorah that we've been introduced to. 
And we've studied those two things and how they point us to Jesus, the bread of God, the light of the world. We have not met the altar of incense yet. The altar of incense was just outside of the veil. That will come a little bit later. And there, I think there are reasons for this specific order. And as you move out now into the courtyard, uh, the one, the place that a lay person, a non-priest could go as far as they could go, the first thing they would run into if we flip it around now, we look at the tabernacle coming from the outside in or for man entering in. He would enter through a gate. Let's go to the, the first slide we have there. And uh, he would enter into this gate here, the outside gate. And you can see that the children of Israel were camped all around the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was the center of Jewish life at this time. And if you go to the very next slide, here's how the actual um, tribes were configured around the tabernacle. And I don't think it's hard for any of you to see the shape that takes place as you begin to study the numbers and the layout of the tribes around the tabernacle. It forms something very clear that we can see. It forms a cross. And the tabernacle and really the whole of Israel, when you think about the main purpose that God had for the children of Israel was to entrust them with the oracles of God and through them to bring forth the Messiah. And so the tabernacle is pointing us ultimately to the one who would come and tabernacle among us, John 1 14, and that is Jesus himself. And so the, the people would uh, see the tabernacle as the geographical heart for the nation of Israel. They camped around it, and uh, we see the actual tabernacle structure in the midst of God's people. They entered through a single gate. I think the next picture will give us a little bit more on that. So you can see the entrance, entrance gate had similar colors on the curtains, if you will, when you came from the outside in. So if you were camping anywhere around and you wanted to go in as a layperson, non-priest into the tabernacle, you went through a single gate. You'll notice in this depiction, the gate was very wide. Now they, the question, you know, scholars are always looking for symbolic meanings in the tabernacle, and I think we should be. You can see that the colors of that entrance gate match the two inner curtains as well. They don't have the cherubim on them, but the outside curtain had the same color scheme. And you came in through a wide entrance gate. Some have said that's because God's grace is so wide and his mercies are so broad for us. And I like to think that that's true. Other scholars have said the gate was as wide as it was because it had practical reasons to be wide. You had to bring a lot of animals, a lot of people. Remember, this is a geographical center for probably well over a million people. And there is one bronze altar, one altar of sacrifice for all the nation. And we're going to discover tonight that this thing, this altar of sacrifice was continually burning. Uh, constantly had sacrifices going on, whether they were actual animal sacrifices or meal offerings. Those are laid out in the first several chapters of Leviticus. But when you walked into this particular area through the gate, uh, you, would, you will notice that there is one way that you can go in. And we've all learned, I think, if you've been around for just a little bit in the church, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one's coming to the Father except through me. If you look at the tabernacle, you'll notice there's one entry point. 
No back door, no ladders, no other entry points. You come one way or you don't come at all. And when you come through the single way, which points to Jesus, the first thing that you are confronted with is a place of sacrifice. Why is that? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You cannot approach God without a sacrifice. And so if you were a Jewish person back in this time, back in the time of Moses, and you did something wrong, you sinned against God, you sinned against somebody else, you came into this place of worship, the farthest you could go was the outer court. You could never go into that inner place. And there you brought your sacrifice. And that sacrifice was to cover your sin until you blew it the next time. (laughs) And all God's people said, ouch, right? A lot of animals being sacrificed at this place. In fact, if you look at it from God's perspective, how many sacrifices do you think went up to God during this time when the tabernacle and then temple existed? It's probably a number that would blow our minds, but sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice for all of these people, perhaps a million or more people all coming constantly with someone sinning and giving an animal. Somebody else sins and they offer an animal. And this is what this was all about. And so in Exodus 27, verse 1, God says to Moses, you shall make the altar, that's the altar of bronze or the altar of burnt offering, of of acacia wood. We've seen that wood before. And just to save you figuring out the cubits, the New Living has it as seven and a half feet wide, this particular altar, seven and a half feet long, and four and a half feet high. So there you have the dimensions of the tabernacle, or excuse me, of the actual altar. Now, if we can go to the next pick for a second, I think we'll get you a picture of an altar here. And this would be kind of a typical altar that you might discover if you were an archaeologist in the Middle East. And you'll notice that this particular stone structure has four corners or four horns, And we are not positive what the horns were used for, but one thing that we can surmise and we can look at some other scripture is perhaps they would tie the animal to the horns of the altar. I'll talk to you more about that in a second. Let's go to the very next picture. And this this is a depiction of what Moses was told to build. You can see that it was carried with poles. It was made of framed wood, hollow on the inside, so it wasn't that heavy. It had a grating, literally, for barbecue. And uh, this, this was basically what it looked like. This was the bronze altar. The poles would only be placed inside of it when it was relocated or moved. And so the priest would work around the altar to deal with ashes and coals and burnt offerings and that kind of thing. And this is the particular structure that is uh, Moses is given. And I don't think it's hard for us to understand why the first thing that you run into when you come through that door is a structure like this, one for sacrifice. Because we all have a problem, and the problem that separates from us from our God is a little word, S-I-N. It's sin. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Resurrection Sunday is almost here. Moving through the book of Matthew, talking about the kingdom of God and anxiety and how to overcome it in the words of Jesus. Pastor Michael Lance has invited you to celebrate Easter at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Early risers can come to the first service at 6 a.m. Just bring a chair and a blanket, maybe a carafe of coffee or whatever you need, and we'll be celebrating the Lord early in the morning as the sun comes up. Visit Living Truth Christian Fellowship on Easter Sunday for the 6 a.m. sunrise service, the 8.30 service, 10.30 service, or for the Spanish-speaking service at 1 p.m. Remember, you can always tune into our YouTube channel If you are not available to join us live or locally, we have a YouTube channel and you can get to it at walkintruth.com. The address is 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. Download the Living Truth app for more information or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's the Living Truth app or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And this would be kind of a typical altar that you might discover if you were an archaeologist in the Middle East. And you'll notice that this particular stone structure has four corners or four horns. And we are not positive what the horns were used for, but one thing that we can surmise and we can look at some other scripture is perhaps they would tie the animal to the horns of the altar. I'll talk to you more about that in a second. Let's go to the very next picture. And this this is a depiction of what Moses was told to build. You can see that it was carried with poles. It was made of framed wood hollow on the inside, so it wasn't that heavy. It had a grating, literally, for barbecue. And uh, this, this was basically what it looked like. This was the bronze altar. The poles would only be placed inside of it when it was relocated or moved. And so the priests would work around the altar to deal with ashes and coals and burnt offerings and that kind of thing. And this is the particular structure that is uh, Moses is given. And I don't think it's hard for us to understand why the first thing that you run into when you come through that door is a structure like this, one for sacrifice, because we all have a problem. And the problem that separates from us from our God is a little word, S-I-N. It's sin. And it's not the most popular topic in all the world, amen? People don't necessarily rejoice in talking about their sin. But nonetheless, this is what keeps us away from God. So let's hold our place in Exodus and turn over to Isaiah just for a moment. Uh, Isaiah chapter 59. We are looking at our culture right now. We know there's a lot of things that are haywire, a lot of inexplicable things. Uh, The same kinds of things happened in Israel. And God addressed these things in Isaiah 59, and he said these words, verse 1, to his people. This is sometime later, way after they had committed idolatry many, many times. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, 59.1 of Isaiah, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, 
and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Here's the list of the problems. See if this sounds familiar. Your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously, no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies. And from that which is crushed, a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are the works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They don't know the way of peace. There is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, darkness. Brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Our transgressions are multiplied before you, God, and our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the street, and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with a zeal, with zeal as a mantle. You know, uh, I heard John MacArthur talking about our country in the wake of the Uvalde, Texas shooting. And he went to Isaiah 59 and he said, Basically, in his opinion, our nation is under the judgment of God. And he said, not those children. Those children were innocent. And he said, I believe those children are in heaven. But we have to look at our nation and look at Isaiah 59 and wonder if we have just read about our nation. We wonder what happened to truth, what happened to justice, what happened to innocence. It seems like when someone turns away from evil, they're the ones that become the victim. And this is the diagnosis. It's the same old problem that's existed way back when. The same old obstruction, the same thing that keeps us from our God. What is it? It's the SIN virus. Sin. 100% deadly, 100% of the time. And here's the thing. It's a universal problem, too, back in Exodus 27, because all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. 
The position of this particular piece of furniture is revealing. It shows us that there's a big obstacle between us and this holy God. Amen? In fact, if you go, uh, I think it's about number six or seven slide. You can see, uh, go back one. You can see that if you entered into this place, and you can see how the altar burnt offering is lit, no one could get to the presence of God. Uh, only the high priest one time a year could go into the holiest place. So if you were a lay person, if you were just kind of an average family person, whatever, the farthest you could go is that courtyard. And the first thing that you run into is a place of sacrifice, as if to say, without sacrifice, I can't approach God. Now you might be asking why. Here's the answer. Because God is holy. Amen? Now, I, I heard this illustration the other night. I think this will bring it home. Let's say that you were in your home and a home invasion happened. And let's say that you have a family, several members in the family, and the robbers chained you to the bed and then right in front of you abused the rest of your family, burn them, hurt them, abuse them, and imagine that you were there and you were shackled and you couldn't do anything. You couldn't protect them. That would be a terrible feeling. Well, let's say that in the aftermath of everything that happened, there was a court hearing and the perpetrator stood before the judge and the judge said, well, you guys feel bad about what you did? Oh, yeah, we feel bad, judge. Okay, well, I, I think they've learned their lesson. We'll just, we'll just let them go. Now, would you think that that was justice if you were the one who was shackled and your family was abused in front of you? The answer is no. You would want justice. Now, of course, we all want mercy, but you get the idea. God is ultimately pure and ultimately just. Now, the altar of burnt offering is pointing us towards the solution to our sin. So don't, don't lose your way here. We do have the answer in this picture piece of furniture, and that's our hope. But you get the idea that in order for anyone to get to that holiest of holies place and actually commune with God, there are some very significant barriers. And the significant barrier is really us. If you, O Lord, kept a record of my sin, Lord, I could never stand. You've been listening to Christ in the Tabernacle, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's Good Friday teaching in Exodus 27, 1-8. Now, you're invited to our Holy Week services this week. Pastor Michael is the Senior Pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. Pastor Michael hopes you attend your church's services, but if for some reason you are not able to attend, we're live-streaming our Good Friday service at 6 p.m. Pacific Time and our Easter Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. We like to call it Resurrection Sunday. But anyway, get all the information you need by visiting walkintruth.com and click on Church. Or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Or visit walkintruth.com and click on Church. Now here's Pastor Michael with a word before we go. Well, as we consider the altar of burnt offering, 
And, you know, we've been talking about as we've done these little uh, closes at the end of each program, some of the graphic, hard to take imagery of sacrifice. But without the sacrifice of Christ for our sins, we would be dead in our sins. Without his life, his death and his resurrection, without the gospel, without Jesus, we would be under the judgment, under the wrath of God. These animal sacrifices provided a temporary or symbolic covering for our sin, but they could never take away our sin. Only Christ in his perfection could do that. And he arrived. And Friday came. Good Friday, we call it. It's a bittersweet day, no doubt. But there, our Christ paid our ransom. He said, it is finished. Your sins have been dealt with at the cross and through the resurrection. Glory to his name. Praise the Lord. Friday is hard, as one preacher put it, but Sunday is a coming. And I pray you'll be in church on Sunday, serving the Lord, praising the Lord, celebrating the resurrection, and indeed saying, he is risen. He is risen indeed. This is Pastor Michael Lance. This is Walk in Truth. Hey, I pray you've had a great week, and uh, I look forward to uh, celebrating the resurrection with you or knowing that you're doing it in your local fellowship with all the saints and the angels. He indeed is risen. Have a great weekend. Make sure you plug into church. Be there. Celebrate. And we'll see you, Lord willing, either Sunday or Monday. God bless. And again, join us Monday for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 27, 1 through 19, called Christ in the Tabernacle. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.